So we've all been there. Flashcards stop working as well as they used to. You feel like you're not getting anywhere and you start understanding way more than you did before, but the words you thought you knew just get more muddled than clear. Is there anything you can do? What's up, guys, and welcome back to our Fluency Fast Tracks member-only podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how to build vocabulary for fluency. Like Amber just said, flashcards stop working after a while, and we have to figure out other ways, other strategies as we progress from intermediate to advanced to help us remember vocabulary. We're not done with vocabulary. We still have to build that, but those intermediate strategies of a cute little picture on a little piece of paper and we flip it over and find if we're right or wrong, those don't necessarily work when you get to advanced. So you've got to shift gears. We talk a lot about shifting gears at Fluency Fast Track. It is a real thing. This is really difficult to know how to do and when and what shifting gears looks like because it's really hard to imagine what learning vocabulary looks like as an advanced speaker or even as a fluent speaker. What do you do with these new words and how do you learn this in a fluent way or in an advanced way? So today we're going to talk about that. Intermediate strategies are less effective when you're advanced. You've got to build on memory hooks and make great connections from multiple angles if you're going to remember it. This is well supported in psychology. The more ways that you approach one thing, the more likely you are to remember it. And for all the advanced learners out there, this should get easier because you have more things to work with. It's like if you had a box of Legos or a box of blocks and you're trying to put them together, but you only have like six pieces. There's only so many ways that you can put those blocks together. But if you have a hundred pieces, a thousand pieces, then suddenly the way that you can connect things together becomes much more varied and you can build varied structures. It's kind of like that, but it's for your vocabulary building and how you can build vocabulary. The greatest way to do that is to use multiple different connections, which requires a different kind of strategy than just rote memorization. So if you're listening to this through Fluency Fast Track, then you can go to the tab beside the podcast player and there is going to be a drop down with the name of this podcast or this number. And from there, you can click on a link to a vocabulary context sheet. This is the tool that we're talking about in this podcast. And we're going to talk about ways to use it and wield it brilliantly in order to build your vocabulary like an advanced speaker. Also, I wanted to note real quick, in the sheet, in the context found category, there's a drop down box. You can actually add more context to that. We just added a few that are most common. You can actually add a few more to that to suit the areas where you are studying English more. So definitely make this sheet a more useful tool for you and use it and share it. If you want, share it in the community as well. It's a great way to help each other out. So once you open this vocabulary and context sheet, you'll see a few headings. You'll see the vocabulary or phrase that you found. You'll see the context where it was found in the definition. You'll see a paralanguage column. You'll see an example sentence column and the date found. All of these columns are extremely important for you to understand this word means. Again, you're not just understanding the vocabulary of this really difficult word. You're trying to understand the idea that it carries. And in advanced English, that's much more deep than just looking at a dog and saying, dog, you have to actually understand the surrounding information. This is because you're likely beyond learning the most common usage for these words, right? 
This is a lot of the issue you're having. There's connections. There's a web of synonyms and antonyms to learn here that you may or may not realize. Good writers use a lot of synonymous meanings in order to vary their word choices so that they don't sound repetitive. But if you find that you're reading something fluent and you're looking up all kinds of words and phrases, then you need to build out that web. This sheet will help you be able to do that. This tool is designed to help you catch more of these unusual meanings, but you're looking at the context to see how it's used because more likely than not, that word is not going to be used in that way outside of that context very often. Maybe it was chosen by the author to provide an alliteration or the sound of two words being the same at the beginning. Or maybe they really meant it literally, or maybe they meant it more figuratively. Or maybe they're creating a new meaning for that word, but you would not catch that unless you're noting the context and you're looking up the meaning of that word in that context. So let's take the word dog. There is another word that we have for dog in English, which is canine. Both of these, if you were using an intermediate strategy, you would write dog or the translation of dog in your own language. But there's a difference between dog and canine. Even though by dictionary definition, you may find that they are the same thing, dog and canine. In reality, the context that that word is found in is different, which means that if a person is using the word canine, instead of dog, they're trying to show you that this is the context. Often, the context is a medical or anatomical context, like the canine was sick with rabies. That is using a medical context. You could say the dog was sick with rabies. That would be fine. But it's using medical context in order to say, hey, this is where we are right now. Yet you may come across that same word in a more informal context, like canine friends or nine canines and a friend, or something like this in terms of a business heading or some kind of slogan or some kind of interesting toy. Why would they be using the Latin name of a dog, canine, in an informal context? They're doing it on purpose. They're doing it to intentionally choose a synonym that is out of place in order to catch your eye or to make a better sounding thing. Canine friends sounds better than dog friends. And you wouldn't really catch that unless you're paying attention to the N at the end of each word. Yeah, exactly. Which is why you also need to note the other parts of the language other than the dictionary meaning, because you will miss so much of English. You will miss so much of our language if you just say, this is what it technically means. This is why poetry is such a beautiful thing. This is why music is such a beautiful thing, because they are playing with the sounds and how it is spoken the rhyme, the meter, all of these things to make English more beautiful. So here are some things that you need to do to make using this tool and studying vocabulary at a higher level more effective. First, you've got to commit to actually taking note of the new terms. We all have been there. Things are going fast. You're tired, whatever it is. But if you don't take note of it, you will never have record of it and it will slip by. I don't know about you, but I tend to think to myself that, oh, yeah, I'll remember that or I'll come across this context again. Or, you know what? I've heard that a few times. I'm pretty sure I'll come into it again and maybe I'll have time then to write it down. And hands down every time that does not work out that way. So don't lie to yourself. Actually commit to taking note of these new terms. The second one is write the whole phrase, which also means where you found it. It's not enough just to write part of a phrase that was spoken, because if you do that, you're pulling it out of the surrounding context. Write down at least the way the native speaker used it, because words are not isolated. Even though there are spaces between the words, they're actually largely connected to the words around them. And so if you 
pull them out of context. It's like you're taking scissors and cutting off these connection points around this word, which we don't do. We don't do that in English. We use words often together, especially come advanced English. There are actually some language learning theories out there that you can learn a language by simply memorizing the larger blocks. Instead of memorizing words and how to use them freely, learning set phrases. This method actually gets you through beginner level pretty well. It doesn't show you much about grammar. It doesn't show you much, but it will help you definitely be able to communicate. This method also builds off of watching a lot of movies and TV shows and recognizing the blocks of language there. The idea is humans only need context to determine meaning. And if that's the case, then you don't have to spend time memorizing grammar or memorizing vocabulary in order to do things. This is great to get through to being able to speak fairly comfortably in English, but what it doesn't give you is autonomy in how to use your words or wielding your words to write beautifully or being able to notice when somebody else plays with their words and uses language and breaks the rules, even the set phrase rules, intentionally in order to make a specific point. Those who memorize language by memorizing phrases tend to miss these. So it's a great way to get you to intermediate pretty quick. Some people are even able to get to advanced, those who are really diligent in listening to higher English, but we find that they're fairly limited in their ability to write or spontaneously create unique language. So definitely write the whole phrase because it could be a connector point, as Josh said, but also be aware that depending on what you're going for, you can't just earn set phrases in English. And that's not the purpose of you writing the whole phrase in this document. So the next one is note the context. This is just where did you find it? What was it doing in the paragraph? What was the paragraph doing in the whole essay or paper or book or chapter? Was it a product description? All of these things help you to determine where to use it when you are trying to create example sentences. Another one is to look up what the word means, but there's a little bit of an asterisk here. You don't need to look up all the meanings of a word. You don't go to online dictionary like Miriam or Cambridge and look up all the things this word could possibly mean. Save that for writing. When you write, you can look up synonyms and look up the range of meaning with that synonym to see if that word is appropriate in this context, if you can indeed use it like you want to. For purposes of hearing this word or seeing this word as you're reading, you can look through the different ranges, but only take note of what it probably means in this context, because we're looking for building a very strong connection point to the context. We've talked about this in the last two episodes of this podcast. Words, phrases, and idioms have a semantic range or range of meaning. Often, what a term means is determined by its context. For example, we could take the word point. Point can be a verb, like pointing a finger at somebody or to point toward something or someone, but it can also be a noun. And there's a lot of noun meanings for point. It could be the point of a pen, it could be the point of a corner, but it could also be like a solid point, like a great point in an argument or a great point in your podcast episode to make. That's just a few meanings. Point is a very, very flexible word. You can make a pointed response, which means you're making a strong statement or a very strong statement. There's also bonus points. You can earn bonus points with your credit card. So things of this nature are something that you have to keep a very close eye on. Just look for the meaning that's very close or seems to fit best in the context you're looking at. And if you have a question, write both. Write two meanings. And then later on, as you come back to review, maybe you'll be able to notice a little bit better which one best suits the surrounding context. The next one is study what the phrase is doing in that context. So in that sentence, what is it doing? What is the application? What is the function 
of that vocabulary word or that phrase. You can even note any paralanguage needed to use the term this way. After a while, you'll get much better at being able to see the specific instance, but at first you're going to have to look at the paralanguage going on in the whole piece. And if you're reading something, you don't have that paralanguage to go on, but you do have the, the writer's tone, their voice, their style. You have a lot of clues and you can look at more of that in the advanced reading practice course. We'll also talk about it again in the writing basics course. So this is something that you'll get better and better at as you continue on in your practice. So let's go back to the idea of point. If I'm using it as the verb to point at somebody, I might use my finger and point at somebody. But if I said at this point in time, we don't have any. For me, I would put my hand flat and I would touch it with one finger. I'm saying this right now, this point, not pointing that direction, but at this point in time. Or raise the eyebrows slightly to say, you know, at this point in time, and it would definitely be raising the voice a little bit in intonation and raising the eyebrows as well. Again, it's not something that you would normally pick up on because there's so many things you're trying to listen to and you're trying to understand the meaning of what somebody is saying. So Josh and Amber, why are you asking me to look at paralanguage and intonation as well? It's like, well, this is something that you will slowly become more and more accustomed to doing, but you've got to start by practicing. I know this can be very slow and tedious and annoying and very difficult to do, but you're only going to get out of something what you put into it. And if you're serious about building your vocabulary for fluency, then you're going to invest the work and the time now. The next one is mimic it or write a couple of your own examples. We cannot, we cannot just look at a term or a phrase or vocabulary and just intake it. We must produce it. We must produce it with our own words. And that doesn't mean just take the sentence and write basically a synonym of the sentence. It means take it and use it in maybe a similar context, but completely different grammatical structure. You need to basically be telling your brain, hey, I know what this means, even outside these exact words. Finally, note the date and place that you found it. This is just another memory hook for you in your own records, and maybe you would be able to go back and listen to it again or read it again if it's something that is from that material. Of course, if it's in a live situation, you wouldn't be able to do this. However, noting the date and the place is very helpful for memory. So you can see now why taking down all this information could be helpful and why flashcards would be really difficult to write all this information out. Like it would just be cumbersome. Our flashcards would become papers and it would just be burdensome. So we've talked about a lot of things you should do, but there are some things that you should not do. For example, you shouldn't know what the term means in every context. Just in this one, that's far more memorable and powerful than saying, oh, in this context, it means this. In that context, it means this. In this context, it means that. Noting a synonym or two that you know already that would be suitable in this context is really helpful. Don't try to memorize the context and all the words you should be using in that context. It's just too much, and it's really not that helpful. It's great if you really want to confuse yourself. Now, some cultures have an education system based on memory, and some of them might be able to do it, but might also not work that way. The next one is don't look up the closest thing in your language. This is a little helpful, but it kind of short circuits your brain to think that this term means exactly what it does in your own language. As we've talked about before, the semantic ranges are different. I could easily point to a dog like we used earlier in this podcast and say dog, and they would say, yeah, we have a word for that. But in reality, in English, there's other words 
that are very closely related to dog like canine that they may not have. And so don't just directly woodenly translate that word over and be like, ah, I know it now. Or the semantic range can take on additional meanings in one language versus another. For example, dog in Chinese can also refer to a bachelor, a single dog. This is something that would not exist in English. Actually, calling somebody a dog would be extremely derisive in English. We used to be able to say, what's up, dog, in like the 90s. So it's something that has different meaning. It has a different evolution in each language. You've got to be very careful comparing a word to one in your own language. Number three is don't write lots of sentences. Writing some examples, great. But if your whole point is just writing a sheet full of sentences with this word, just changing a few words at a time, it's not going to work. Make everything that you do with this word efficient, not just a lot of busy work. In addition, don't force yourself to act out the entire thing. If you're watching a scene in a movie, you don't have to act out the entire scene to learn how to use that word well. You can simply use the immediate context, the sentence or two that the actor or actress uses. If you're mimicking something, just say the words around it. You should not write the word over and over and over and over again. This was kind of an older strategy. They thought if you put body to words, then it helps you memorize it. It gives you that memory hook by having some repetitions and muscle memory. But at the advanced level and for the time that it takes, it's not that helpful. Another thing you shouldn't do is create tests for yourself and quiz yourself. This is helpful to some degree, but at the advanced level, these words and your understanding of them is going to be so much more multifaceted, so it's going to be difficult to do this with efficiency. And the last one that we have talked about a few times today is to chase down every meaning of the word and all its synonyms. It's okay to try to find semantic range, but it would be better to put your time and your effort and your energy into other places than getting super hyper-focused on this one word. What does this one word mean? It would be better to put your efforts somewhere else. So now, what should you do with all of this? Collecting this information will be completely useless if you don't have a way to actually use it. So, set a time every week to look back through your vocabulary notes. Next one is to challenge yourself to incorporate these terms in next week's Fluency Fast Tracks writing or speaking homework. Use it this week. Write out a short story, a journal entry, or an email using some of these terms. The more you use it, the more often you use it this week, the better. And last one is make a checklist of terms and a check mark beside each one that you will use in life. Aim for about three to seven uses for each term. All right, guys. That's it for this one. If you guys have any questions about these or you are questioning whether your understanding of a word in a certain context is wrong, you can email us. You can ask us. Ask us in Slack. Ask the community in Slack. Those are great. We are a living resource for you. We are English teachers as a living resource for you. We would love to help you with this. You can even send us your vocabulary and context sheet every now and again and ask about specific phrases. You can highlight them. So good luck, guys. Good luck as you push forward to fluency. We're so happy that you are here and we're so happy that we can try to help you and equip you. If there's anything else that we can do, again, reach out in Slack and we will do everything we can. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to this one. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye.